I think we all have, and I can only speak to myself, I have a moral imperative to meet my fullest potential. This is why I'm here. I don't care about going to a party or doing this. There's a lot of things I want to do and a lot of things I have done, but I'm in this world and you're in this world of meeting some really peak performers. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to max out as a human being. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends. If you're doing it the right way, anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm making friends with John DiDomenico. He is a local here in Las Vegas, stand-up comic, the number one Trump impersonator in the world. has been featured on Conan O'Brien and Howard Stern and basically anything else where people like to impersonate Trump. John, what's up, man? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Was I on before? I think it was just the event just last the time. Event. Yeah. I feel like I've seen so much of your stuff. I feel like I've been interviewed. We're going we're gonna to do a lot of it today. So we're sitting here in Proprietor's Reserve right now in this really cool venue in Vegas <clears throat> and getting ready for a dinner party, our first dinner party ever episode tonight. The round table. Meeting of the minds. That's exactly right. So you're coming through for that. We figured, hey, we got you out here. We're doing an interview. May as well sit down and do a one-on-one before we tackle that. So let's rewind the clock, man, because I always find the conversation fascinating when I sit down with somebody like yourself who is not in a traditional career path. Because a lot of times you, when you rewind the clock back to when you're six, seven, eight, nine years old, you're probably not sitting there going, I'm going to be the number one Trump impersonator in the world. That's what I want to be when I grow up. I knew so, I wanted to be an actor and a comedian. I didn't know I was going to be that. Okay. So let's start there. Yeah. Let's start there. Seven, seven-year-old John DiDomenico. Talk Actually, to us. when I was five, I, I was, I'm 60. So I used to watch the Ed Sullivan show and watch all the comedians on Sunday night. And one of them was John Biner, who's a great comedian. And uh, he was an impressionist. There were a lot of impressionist comedians back then. And he would do Ed Sullivan. And I, my neighborhood in Ambler, Pennsylvania, looked like South Philly. It was all row homes. So the adults would sit out on the steps and I would come out and I would do his act. Oh, really? Now, right here in our shoe. And I had a really good memory and I did the voices and my neighbors loved it. And I got a lot of adults clapping for you and laughing. The laughing's like the best part, That's mm. like the, the drug. And I just thought it was great. And then the other side being, I had a severe speech impediment. So when I did the impressions, there was no impediment. So by the time I got, was six and seven and I was in first grade, they diagnosed me. And then I did eight years of speech therapy, two times a week. And those speech therapists and speech pathologists were basically teaching me how to do more voices. Not Interesting. To, yeah, because they were explaining it, throat placement, nasal placement, vocal production, where your voice is supposed to be, the vocal mask, all these things that I still use today, which makes me understandable, obviously, because they fixed my speech. But if I'm doing someone like Trump, you know, that you get the nasality, you got the throat placement, you got the vocal production, <laughs> the enunciation. So all these things oh, come into so play. Good. So when I do any voice, I try to do it 
scientifically so I can nail the voice. But growing up in that neighborhood, in a row home neighborhood in Ambler, Pennsylvania, which is like a super fun site for asbestos. That's not a joke because it was the biggest <laughs> asbestos factory in the country. This is why oh, I can't man. see or breathe properly. But it was, all I knew was my dad was a hardworking guy, ninth grade education, worked in mm. a steel factory, standard press steel. And I would watch TV and movies and think there is something beyond Ambler, Pennsylvania. I have to get the hell out of here. I I was always restless and ADHD and yeah. I was always doing something performing wise. I would resell things. I was like an entrepreneur and I was just one of those people. And then in, when you're in school and high school, you get to do musicals and hmm. plays. And if you're, if you're, inventive at all you can say hey can i do something can i put something up in the school sure you can do anything you want that's why you've got all this stuff here so then on to college and outside of college i had a plan to go to new york to become an actor i became a copywriter in philadelphia and i was already doing acting and doing film and tv and all those things that you do when you're starting out and i thought this i'm gonna get to new york and i hated having a regular job what type of copy are you writing? I was writing copy for uh, business in the Philadelphia area. Like advertising copy? Advertising copy. Okay. Yeah, I'm writing <clears throat> advertising copy. And the way I got the job was, instead of doing a regular resume, I wrote my resume in crayon, <laughs> in blocks, almost like a cartoon. And I sent that out as double-sided. And that's what got me the interviews. No way. That's it funny. Was, you know, something different. Because I'm always like, how can you do something differently? How can you approach something that's done before a little differently? And mm. they got a big kick out of that. So, yeah, yeah. But the whole copywriting thing didn't work out. And around that time, I joined a sketch comedy group. And I was working on stand-up. And I was pursuing an acting career. And life never, nothing's what you think it is hmm. until you're in it. And then you realize, oh, this is very inefficient. And this isn't the way I like to work. And I, I really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And I was working it and it was like 95 96 97 i was just all over the place and out late at night is this how you were making money at the time oh, there's okay. very little money yeah. very little money that. that's what i was thinking yeah i was i ended up working in atlantic city as a performer and under contract for like okay. a year and during that time i was developing more characters and okay. more impressions and, and i was being paid for that because it was like a walk very unusual job they had just built Tropicana at the time, which was called Trop World Atlantic City, and they had an adult amusement pier. So they wanted constant, continuous entertainment. Gotcha. Okay. So I got to walk around and do these impressions of Groucho Interesting. and Columbo. So almost like an ideal job. Oh, for, for someone like me. It's yeah. Because you're. I love to walk up yeah. to people and I love to interact with people and get the improvisational thing yeah. happening. And it allowed you to work on what you really wanted to work on, but actually get paid to do it. But you're not like on a main stage or anything sure. like that. But one of the cool things there was they had Eck, the talking slot machine. If you came into this saloon, there was a talking slot machine. And I used to sit there for hours and be the voice of it. And just oh, no way. and I could modulate my voice up and down. So it sounded mechanical. So that was a great training ground. And then the play, I got into a play in Philadelphia. And then I was back and forth to New York auditioning and then ended up in an improv company along with the sketch thing. And it's all those progressive steps yeah and but right around 96 97 i did my first big corporate job in the course of one week i was at the villa east in lancaster i was a featured comedian and 
And I just remember walking in, because you have an idea what you're like, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. And you don't realize how lonely it is. You're by yourself, mm-hmm. pretty much on your own. Yeah. All the comedians are coming. The other two comedians are coming in from another place. And you get there, and it's not like McDonald's. Every club is different. The sight lines are different. The staff is different. The sound is different. <laughs> And I walked in, and this guy, who he's eating pasta at the bar. It's like he's out of me. Like this, he's eating it. And I'm like, hi, how you doing? I'm John D. Domenico. I'm your featured act this week. And he's like, I hope you're fucking funny. <laughs> the last guy your agency sent sucked. And I was like, great to meet you too, sir. And he put me in a broom closet. Because I'm sure you've heard stories among comedians about where they put us up. It was terrible. But I did really well that week. But the following week was my first corporate job for Sony. And I was, they fly you down first class. Mm. Guy picked me up at the airport. Very first time someone had my name on a thing, you know, John D. Domenico, spelled correctly. And I was like, oh, I could get used to this. (laughs) The guy said to me, he says, we didn't, we were out of town cars. Do you mind? It's a stretch limo. I'm like, do I mind (laughs) that it's a stretch limo? Are you kidding me? (laughs) Then we go to the hotel and it's the Swan at Disney. And I'd never been to Disney. My family was poor. We would go to Ocean City, New Jersey and stay on the town outside of it because we couldn't afford to stay in Ocean City. (laughs) That's how bad it was. And I just remember staying there and the show went great. I'm thinking like, yeah, this sounds like a much better way. <laughs> it's a much better yeah. deal. I'm, I'm feeling a paid. calling. Yes. On <laughs> so I kept, I kind of, I was winding down on the comedy clubs, but still performing and um, always doing voices, always looking for multiple ways to get booked. It wasn't James Dean. I didn't want to just like study acting and just wait for acting stuff. I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to do sketch comedy. I wanted to do improv comedy. I'm very restless. And all those things were happening and I was meeting people and some really cool things were happening. But it's I'm like a journeyman actor and I lucked out with Austin Powers because of Mike Myers. But that's not my character. And But I started doing Trump in 2004 because I had met him in 1990, I did a show at the Plaza, and I said, this guy's really interesting. Yeah. And then I co-hosted his 55th birthday as Austin Powers, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then I, the first season of The Apprentice came out, and I was like, oh, this is a great show. And, I was, and I'd always been thinking about The Voice, because when I was moving to New York in 86, 87, I was trying to get like a feel for New York City. I knew the history of the city. Okay. Who's the, who are the pop culture Sure, yeah, It yeah. was him all the time. He was in the constantly. And uh, when the apprentice was on, it was the first time I could really hear his voice other than like a news clip. Sure. And I started, this is interesting because he's from Queens, but it doesn't sound like he's from Queens. He's very verbose. And I just thought, oh, yeah, let me work on this. And around that time, I got a call from one of my New York agents and said, hey, are you doing Trump yet? And I said, no, not yet. Should I? And they said, yeah, we have an audition for you on Monday. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay. So I literally ran out and bought the DVD of the first season of The Apprentice, which had just come out. Just come out. Yeah. Amazing, this box set, which is like a treasure trove of material. Because, and it wasn't the stuff that was necessarily on TV. It was the bonus material. It's like when you listen to him on Howard Stern, there's, a, there's multiple Trumps. Sure. This was so helpful. I went in, auditioned, and I got it. And I later found out it was for him. It was for the boardroom game at the Taj Mahal. So he had this boardroom game and they had two live people. One was George Ross, 
uh, and Carolyn Capture, which were the first season of The Apprentice. And then they were saying, oh, Mr. Trump will be here momentarily. And then the phone rings and it's me as Trump. Hello, everybody. I'm so sorry. I'm in the middle of a very big deal, but you got great people. You got George and Carolyn. I'm going to listen in. I'm going to listen in. Blue team, green team. And they just would plug in all of this stuff. And it was my first experience That's working wild. for him. And it was great. What year was this? This was 2004. Okay. This would have been 2004. And the only direction I ever received, I went to a studio in Princeton, New Jersey. They were, it was an ISD online. I could plainly hear the executives and they would say, be meaner, be meaner. <laughs> Literally the only direction I ever got, be meaner, be meaner. Like, okay. That's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So I did that. And then two years later, Trump had, was The Apprentice is now in its second or third season, and yeah. there was a cross-promotion between The Apprentice, number one rated show ever, The Apprentice and Embassy Suites, where they redesigned their uniforms, and Trump was supposed to be on to promote that ad that night, and he was unavailable. So I get a call, like the day before, and they say, can you be in New York tomorrow? I say, yeah, I live right outside of the city. And they said, you're going to be on Fox News, this is a really big segment we're promoting for the show, and I ended up that set, I was supposed to be on for a quick thing where I pull up in a limousine, get out of the car as Trump, walk into Fox News, and they have a chef with me because all month long at the Embassy Suites, and in honor of this, they were serving the domlet instead of an omelet. You could order the domlet. And so I walk in with the chef behind me. You can look it up. The photos are still on Getty Images. I walk in. I'm supposed to do one segment. They kept me on for three. Wow. Because I was just improving in character and having yeah. a blast. And I watched these poor news anchors. Ice, an ice cold omelet that had easily been made three, four hours before. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's Delicious. so good. It's so full of cheese <laughs> and ham, just like me. So that so that kind of started it. And I kept doing it. And with me, I always like to expand things. And I kept reselling the character and doing after dinner speeches for corporate. Yeah. I'd come in and roast all the executives. I would. I did a boardroom. And boardroom now he's got me saying. <laughs> I did an apprentice game where it was 150 people. I could made it scalable. Because huh. anytime I take anything on, I want to I want to maximize it. Sure. I'm going to take yeah. the time to spend the money on the clothes and the wigs and all that kind of stuff. I want to take it to the, the fullest potential that I yeah, can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And, that's the, and that part of that is like growing up an Ambler and trying not to be poor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You f I find it, it's very common with a lot of the people that I interview right. is most of the people that I've interviewed did not come from money and they've come from a similar type of a background. And I, th I think that's one of the reasons that you and them are successful now because you know what it's like oh. to be there. And you're like, I don't, I don't want to live like that for the rest of my life. So how do I avoid that at all costs? And not having control of your life and control, the control of freedom, trading time for money. And that's, that was never satisfying to me. And my dad, he wasn't, he wasn't like the smartest guy, but he, every now and then he would say something really it was like, like a nugget. He, when I was a kid, he was a guy who was a world war II veteran worked in a steel plant, but he said, you'll never get rich working for somebody else. And I know that mm. many people have said that, but like for him to even say that yeah, was right. just like very unusual. And <clears throat> he worked on the weekends, he cut grass. The guy works seven days a week. Yeah, you know? it's almost a recognition of his own fate to to constantly have to work for somebody else. And yeah. he was a smart guy and it was interesting. He would, in the garage in our tiny little house, he had a little, little table set up, but he used to make uh, jewelry sometimes. Mm. And I was just like, where's this coming from? Like he would take mother of pearl and he would Very interesting. clean it and make, I was like, who's this guy? Yeah. But I think there was a lot of, art, 
there was an artistic element in him, but he couldn't even let it out. Sure. Just because he'd have the time. We're talking about a different generation. Totally different went generation. Went and fought in World War II, yeah. born in the 20s, lived in the Depression. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, that's a different... Different uh, mindset. Th those were men. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> he was they a were man. men. <laughs> let me tell you, it's a totally different world. Yeah. So he, one of the things people are like, my friends say you're the hardest working man in show business. And obviously people watching, are like, who the hell are you? But I do like to work. Yeah. And I did get that from him because the only way you can succeed is hard work. Smart, obviously. You want to work Smart, smarter work. than harder. Correct. Correct. But he worked because he had to. I work because I love it. Yeah. I like having multiple projects happening. I like being able to travel. And I like going around the world and offering something that no one else offers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and I did the stand up route. It, that wasn't, it didn't work for me. I'm, it, the time on the road was incredibly valuable. Learned to be a much better writer, but it's better suited for what I want to accomplish in in front of our corporate audience. Not that I don't, I get itchy and I'll do shows here. Shows at Notoriety and the space. And yeah. I, I have to get on stage. And I have a standing invitation from Harry Basil at um, the Laugh Factory. Like, Anytime you want to come in, I'm like, I should take him up on that. <laughs> at some point. Yeah, <laughs> at yeah. some point. <laughs> what about your mom? What did your mom do? My mom, my mom was a typical 50s housewife. Okay. The, the unusual thing about these two people was my my mother had gotten divorced and got her two kids from that marriage. My father had gotten divorced. This is the late 50s, like 59, 60. And they met and had a wonderful evening. And I'm the product of that evening. And they <laughs> married each other because that's what you did in 1962. And the, growing up, there was a photo of them with their wedding night in Atlantic City, which was torn in half, taped back together, torn in half. <laughs> taped back together because they literally fought like cats and dogs. Uh, yeah. Fought all the time. This is your, one of your other guests talked about the marriage thing and choosing somebody. I'm also a big proponent of that. And I say that as a person who has been divorced twice. <laughs> I, I am not, I'm not so smart. I'm learning as I go. But I think what people should be teaching, like the things they should be teaching in school is how to pick a friend. Totally. How right. to pick a playmate, how to pick a spouse, like right. these things, they don't, it's all like a card game you walk in on. Who's playing cards? I'd like to play cards. I don't really know how to play cards. Totally. Play cards and then they you teach you the least important things and never the, the most important, important things. <laughs> and then you're in college, you have a girlfriend in college, you maybe have a girlfriend post-college, maybe it's the same person, but then your friends are getting married. Like, I guess I should get married too. Everyone sure, else right, is getting married. Right. And everyone's marching kind of in lockstep. That's what people say I should do next. <laughs> yeah. Instead of, I really want to do this. Yeah. But you mentioned, did you have siblings that you grew up with yes. or okay was I, that I, I had three siblings from my half siblings three sisters from my father's first marriage okay and then my brother George and sister Carol from my mom's marriage and I grew up with George and Carol and then my biological 100% biological brothers Michael and Stephen who were fraternal twins wow so this is like eight total children not in the same house so we had a three-bedroom house with four boys one girl two adults and it was jam-packed in no one kidding. bathroom yeah no kidding one bathroom, one bathroom. three bedroom one yeah. bathroom so talk about wanting to get out of a place no like, kidding i yeah. was so ready to get out of there did any of your siblings have that same desire or yeah michael steven we're all my blood brother my, michael d dominico steven d dominico we're all similar in the sense that we all tested very well we're 
intelligent people. <laughs> and we've all in our chosen fields because we want to. We yeah. want to succeed. Sure. And so that was great because I just knew, I think it was odd because I think my father's inability to grow out of where he was, to escape it, because there were so many times he may have had opportunities to do something. He couldn't, he just didn't have the money. He couldn't, yeah. he couldn't see beyond that. We all have done like <clears throat> bigger things and succeeded and exceeded a lot of expectations from where we're from. Sure. What we, we saw, we grew up with people that are like, that are dead. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it was a tough town and there was a lot of all through the seventies and eighties, there was a lot of, I don't want to use temptations, but a lot of things to divert you. Sure, yeah. And a lot of people got into that. Even my brother George died of alcoholism. Yeah. And that was, and he had incredible potential. He went to LaSalle and he was a very intelligent guy and very charming. And yeah. he just couldn't, he just couldn't beat it. Yeah. And I feel, one of the things I feel really strongly about is, I think we all have, and I can only speak to myself, I have a moral imperative to meet my fullest potential. This is why I'm here. I don't care about going to a party or doing this. There's a lot of things I want to do and a lot of things I have done, but I'm in this world and you're in this world of meeting some really peak performers. And I'm like, I want to do that. I want to max out as a human being. Yeah. Learn as much as I can, do as much as I can. And hopefully all these experiences give back to somebody, mentor somebody just in a way so they too can be further along the path than me at my age. So cliche, but we do only get the one shot at it. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Life is not a rehearsal. <clears throat> yeah. And I believe me, I've wasted a lot of time. <laughs> I'm fully aware I've wasted a lot of time. Yeah. So I'm coming to the point where I spend more to any downtime I have. I'm listening to a book on Audible or I'm watching something on YouTube. Yeah. There's so many things that, that, that this moment in history, I used to say this to my brother. I said, this moment in history there's no excuse that you're an alcoholic. Hmm. Everything's out. Every book, there's videos, there's AA meetings online, there's AA meetings on the phone, there's web AA meetings. But then conversely, there's no reason at this time in history that you can't succeed. No matter who you are, everything is out there. Like this, yeah. this library of Congress of ways to succeed, ways to take your talents and make a living out of them. YouTube, TikTok, all of these yeah. things. It's almost inexcusable. And it's all free. It's all free. Yeah. Platforms that'll put you up. I mean, there were there were barriers to all of this not that long ago. Right. You could right. not get to the public with whatever your talent was. Singing, dancing. Comedy. Comedy. Yeah. Turning a coin into a Death Star. <laughs> yeah, you know what right. I mean? Whatever it is. So I encourage people like to leverage these things. These things are free, whatever your talent is. Yeah. And, and probably things that you wish you could have had when you were working through and grinding through the, oh, we got to go to this show and I'm on tour over here, but I got to get to this other studio. Like everything had to be done in person and you had to travel everywhere in order to be able to get a small fragment of the population to see the talent that you were constantly cultivating. Whereas now you can have full distribution to the entire world on YouTube or right. TikTok it's, or podcast. You know, it's, I actually was talking to somebody today. He's an 18 year old kid. Really nice. It was my, I was getting some physical therapy today yeah. and I was talking to him <clears throat> and I, to say to him, I had a show and the only way I could reach people for that show was to literally find out their address, keep a mailing list physically put something together, put it in the mail 
so they could get it and they could conceivably make the decision to come see my show. Like that was the only way to communicate with people to yeah. have their phone number, but phone calling people was time consuming. So to be able to have access to all of this stuff, right? so many people, it's really incredible. At the click of a button on your computer. Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. <laughs> go back to that living life to the fullest thing. I heard this quote one time that that always stuck with me. And it was like, it's a, I'm not going to but butcher it here. We'll try to grab the full thing and put it in the show notes or somewhere. But it was basically said something along the lines of live this life as though you have already lived a life as recklessly as you're about to live this one or something like that. You know and, that quote. <clears throat> yeah. And it all, it's in one of my books. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like when I did like keep, when I hear stuff like that, I write it down. That one always stuck with me because it, it's like that you're tempted to live this version of hedonism or, right. or where you just, Hey, I only get one shot at this. Let me just seek pleasure and have fun and do right. all. It's just like, no, no, no. Pretend like you've already lived a life where you did all of you that shit. Right. Like you already fucked your life in this other life. Pretend that already happened. Right. Now come to this life and live this life as though you've already done that. And that one always stuck with me. And it seems like that's something that, that you have lived by yeah. or at least tried to try, yeah, keep I'm it the forefront. To, yes, yeah. trying to. And I listen to this one thing every morning. I think it's on Fearless, one of these YouTube channels. But it says, don't be concerned about missing out. Because everyone's like, oh, I wanted to go to that party. Like FOMO is so bad. Totally. It's horrible. Don't be concerned about that. Be concerned you're in the same fucking place a year from now, two years from now. Don't worry about a party or an event or a con Don't worry be a little more concerned about your progress yeah. in your career. Wake up with an intention. And I'm not talking workaholism. I'm talking sure. about yeah, yeah. wake up with an intention. Where do you want to be? How do you want to get there? Because if you don't know where you're going, guarantee you will get there. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and even with the best intentions, it may take, there might be the, a different route, but during that route, it may change how you approach things. Right. You're not going to see the finish line, but you can see the next step. If you don't ever take the next step, the finish line never, you'll never get there. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's. Forget who said it. The guy who created Chicken Soup for the Soul, but he always said, yeah, Jack Canfield. you're driving across <clears throat> the country in a car, it's foggy, and you really can only see eight, 10 feet in front of you. Mm -hmm. You're going to drive across the country, but you're only going to see this much. Mm -hmm. See this mm -hmm. much. Your goal is here. But you're only going to see this much in front of you as you go. And I always thought that was very, very interesting and great words to live by. It's just, yeah. You just have to keep grinding. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters 
is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I want to get back into the later part of the story. I wanted to rewind for a second, talk about kind of siblings and family dynamics and stuff, but it's fascinating that you were already doing the Trump stuff before Trump became Trump, really. Like, obviously, he was always well-known, but he was a more sane version of being (laughs) well-known. Yeah, sure. New York was obviously where he was most influential, probably before before he was on television and all those things, but you were already doing it before he even became the caricature of himself that he eventually became anyway. Which was the greatest thing that could have happened. I was going to say for you, it yeah. was like, it was almost like your career was directly tied to how ridiculous he became. You know what I mean? Like it was you like, know, you love something like you're into pickleball. Yeah. Like, you're before everybody else. And I'm right. like, this like I was there before. Right. Yeah. The- <laughs> and I, I just found him fascinating and read books about him and just, just an interesting guy. And man, talk about right place. Yeah. Right time to be. And when he announced, and he had announced other times and I pretty much know every movement. For, yeah. He had know, toyed with it. He toyed, toyed with the with idea. It. Yeah. He wanted him to run for governor of New York. Yeah. He had looked at all these different things. Well, I saw a clip of him on Oprah in 93 or something that she was asking him about running well, for president. Well, it's funny because he had, a, this is what I was told that going back to a Rona Barrett interview that they had, he had asked the producers to have Rona Barrett ask him about running for president, mm. which the master market. Interesting. Yeah. He, so that his, everybody at least else that for who sure. interviewed him asked about running for president. So again, like a planting a seed, no matter what you feel about him politically, and obviously it's very divisive, but the guy is this a master marketing Oh, guy, yeah. yeah. You know, to end up being He's the president. The chief persuasion back, officer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go back to an interview with Rona Barrett in 1980. Yeah. About, are you ever going to run for president? Yeah. I, I just always thought it was brilliant. That's wild. And he's changed over time. So when he announced, and I was very lucky, because a buddy of mine, Tom Shalhoub, who I used to do stand-up comedy with, had just taken over Red Eye on Fox News from Greg Gutfeld. Oh, really? Okay. I mean, it was unbelievable timing. Everything was unbelievable timing, but it was like, hey, do you want to be on the show as our Trump on Fox News? And I said, sure, absolutely. And then we would, I would if I was in New York and I used to be there all the time, I would be live in studio or we'd do it from a satellite studio here in town. And then supposedly some of Conan's writers, somebody saw me on that and then I got picked up by Conan. And then, I, then Chelsea Handler picked me up and then... Uh, another show picked me up, then I was picked up by shows in Australia, uh-huh. and I was just, it was just- This is all around the election year, this like is 20? The, yeah, from the announcement in what, May, June, well, his birthday's June, so he announced like the day after his birthday, or day before. That, so May, June, July, August, September, October, but 2016, insane. Blew up with work. Blew up. Yeah. Just literally took all the photos from 2016, and finally- 
got them, got them organized and foldered. And I'm looking, I, I was going through, oh, damn, that was a good year. I was crisscrossing the country, flying around the world. Yeah. Right. I did 12 appearances on the Today Show in Australia. And I'm like, this is great. Wow. And it was all those things I talked about. It was the sketch comedy. It was the improv. Obviously, the practice, you know, all any yeah. kind of voice work. It takes a lot of practice. You're stacking skills over a 25-year career that led up to this kind of and culmination like, of, yeah. And that's why they love to have me on, because I wasn't just, hello, I've done a trip, how are you? It was a fully fleshed out. Love everybody. So I love the Australian people. Great people. Really incredible people. I want to be the king. Can I do that? Can I do that? Because you speak English. You people can vote, by the way. Mail in your votes. Yeah, it's a full character. Yeah, it was, it was a not- full character. And I got to develop it over time. And I knew, I knew once he announced, everybody was going to be doing Trump. Oh. I knew it. Anytime somebody's in the any politician, especially at the presidential level, yeah. gets mocked or impersonated every by day. everybody. Yeah. yeah, and and certain people popped out, and I was Who, like, besides you, do you? I think- thought Anthony Atomanik, who's basically retired from doing Trump, who is an actor in New York, and we had some mutual friends, but I thought he was overall the best because mm. he had a fully formed present, not just the voice, but the presentation, his thought. He really had figured out who Trump was and he was speaking from that place when mm. he improvised. I always thought that was very, he was doing like the best and there's other people yeah, yeah. cut anybody out, but uh, he, I thought his was, it seemed like every comic, every late night host, everybody developed something at the time. Are there any of those ones, any of those ones that stuck out to you? Any of the late night hosts that were doing it before? Uh, I thought Trevor Noah's was actually, good. yeah, it was pretty funny. It was pretty good. And yeah. I love the fact that Seth, My- Seth Myers would do Trump and he would say, it's a horrible Trump. I just <laughs> yeah. love the fact he mitigated. Still has to yeah, do it though. Yeah. 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 That was always very funny. Yeah. And then Jimmy um, Fallon got into it for a little yeah, bit. Jimmy well, Fallon yeah. Jimmy Fallon got into it for a little while and everybody was doing it. And one of the things I tried to do with my Trump from the beginning, and I try to do this with any impression, especially of a living person, is to make it as nuanced as possible, bring in as many elements as possible, because, you know, we all speak and we all pull in different things. We pull in our mom, we pull in our dad, we pull in somebody we like, we pull in this, we pull in that. I had obviously a speech impediment. But when I, when Trump reannounced, I said, I need to like, I need to go back and I need to kind of relook at this impression. Mm. And I remember I did my notes and then I sat down and where's Trump from? Trump's from Queens. Who else is from Queens? And I'm thinking, who else is from Queens? Oh, of course, Christopher Walken, who has the staccato when he speaks. Travis, wow, this place. And I thought, oh, wait, there's elements of that. In tr- you know, let me pull that in. And then I grew up watching Groucho, Groucho Marx, who yeah. had a very sing-songy voice. Hello? I must be going. I came to say I cannot stay. I must be going. And if you listen to Trump, he's got a very, hello, everybody. Wow. Is this place incredible? Very amazing. And he does this weird thing where he counterbacks. He he was talking about the wall one time. And he goes, this wall is so tall. It's impenetrable. It's <laughs> impenetrable. You cannot get over this wall unless you have a really tall ladder. And I just thought, like, he just did himself in, but he does it in such a great comedic way. Like, just this weird kind of that whisper thing that he does that he did at the CIA the day after the inaugural. I looked out, millions of people, millions of people. They said, Trump doesn't draw. But I saw so many people. That whisper, it's so, you know. 
so funny. And I, and because of all of that, I got to meet some great people. I got to meet like Daryl Hammond and got to work with him a couple of times. And then I did the Laugh Factory thing, which I won, which was great. And I did the thing on the, well, the thing on the view was the first part of that. And then I went to the Laugh Factory. Okay. So it was years of, years of working on something, a specific voice, but years of all the voice work that all came together. And I think that happens with people when they have, when they're in their industry, whatever it is. And there's, they have one passion thing, something they keep in their pocket that they're doing, but it's not that primary thing. And then whatever it is, it just comes together. Yeah. I always think of David Bowie, which seems strange, but I was a big David Bowie fan. And I remember like listening to his music as a kid. My sister loved him. And I was thinking like, wow, this is, this stuff is so complicated. It's different. He's dressed androgynously, but his lyrics are this, his lyrics are that. And his, he didn't really have, other than Space Oddity, he never had like a pop hmm. song. And then I remember in 19, like, here's him, here's pop music. And in 1983, he, it all comes together. Yeah, that alignment. Oh that, my yeah. God. I mean, that quadruple platinum, like the, like the music knew he was there. But he was changing. He's always changing and progressing and yeah. moving on. And it just was unbelievable. I mean, that album was huge. And he just, and now every song on that track, every track on that album is like an amazing song. Yeah, it's very interesting how that just, it's the culmination of all of the hard work. All that stuff and then working with you, you know. You're uniquely qualified to do this one thing extremely right, well. Right. Like very, hopefully like, something else like, after that. Yeah, yeah, just so much better than anybody else. You get all the opportunity, yeah. you know, it, when, when it came your way. That's part, like everything yeah. came. And unexpected, like, uh, are you the highest paid or one of the highest paid people on all of Cameo? Is that right? Well, so I, said my, I was in politics. Okay, I in the politics in category. Yeah, a lot of the, a lot of really well-known people donated to charitable organizations, but I was, man, they were, up to the insurrection, Yeah, I was doing extremely well. <laughs> Funny how an insurrection Funny can... Funny how <laughs> that kind of kills the commercial market for... Happy birthdays and oh man, Jeremy, have a tremendous promise for <laughs> how many cameos do you think you've done? How many videos? I did, well, they out. They count. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I did sixteen hundred. Sixteen hundred cameos. Yeah, yeah. Wow! In over the stretch of a year, two oh, years, I, three years. I got on my Michelle was so you got to get on cam and a couple of friends too. Smart, got to get on cameo. Yeah, and smart. Like, no one wants to see a Trump impersonator. He'll probably be on himself next week. Yeah, and I got on. I was amazed. Mm. I was amazed. Yeah. I, it just was really, there were days when I was shooting five, six, seven, eight from the time I got on cameo and between YouTube, which is totally, totally different. I was doing long form comedy and yeah. doing yeah. interviews. And I would get up, go to the gym, come home and just get into Trump. Wow. Because something was always coming up, but the cameos were coming in. Yeah. You know, like shooting a lot on TikTok cameos. as well. Yeah. Doing the TikTok Blew up on TikTok. Blew yeah. up like, to six million, and we had a meeting last. That whole thing that I was talking to you about last night—that was all TikTok people. We were get posted to get together and shoot wow. with some other key big name TikTok. Unfortunately, or I'm not going to say who it is, but that person unfortunately got sick. But it just provides you all these great opportunities. Sure. When you're, you know, I I love what I do. I'm so lucky to do it. I do so many different things. The Trump thing has been such an amazing view. In. Yeah, it's the foot in the door yeah, to so many opportunities for you. I, I cannot tell you how happy I was the first time I went to Warner Brothers for the Conan O'Brien show. You're like, I can't believe this. Yeah. Warner 
Yeah. And trying to get into At Conan. Yeah, yeah, right. For years and years, and then you're there, and it's incredible. And then we did the live shows all the years at Comic-Con in front of people you know i would <laughs> and usually if i'm in front of three thousand people it's a corporate show and it's salespeople or something but have a real audience like booing you <laughs> Boo! it's like i was like jet engine and then in that moment i was like i was totally in character and i said you hear that conan they're calling me their boo and i was like i was like like direct hit direct yeah, hit right. direct hit right. he's, i just have to say i don't think he'll ever see this but i hopefully he will but that guy is so gracious and so generous, he treated me like an equal from the very first time I was on the phone with him. Very first time. He seems that way. Yeah. He's one, he's one of my favorites in the business. He wants to elevate everyone he's on stage with. And yeah. I cannot thank him enough. We, he, they created a character. You know, I was, I was Trump, but then for those shows, he created a character called um, Captain Make America Great Again, which was an amalgamation of Trump and Captain America. So the wig is coming out under the leather skull cap, and you can see my eyes. And I've got it all, but you know me, I'm not, I'm not the thinnest fella. And so I've got this big gut and the red tie and the Captain America suit with slacks on. It was just the funniest thing. Such, uh, great, such great memories. He seems to have never lost touch with who, what, like the reason he got into the business, yeah. which is just to be funny. Yeah. No matter, let's try whatever we want to try because because I think it's going to be funny and some of it falls flat and some of it crushes and he's and made he, an entire career out of it. And you made a great point. Some of it falls flat because it's the experimental element of what he did. I'm a big Ernie Kovacs fan. And I always think that Conan to a certain extent is probably the closest to Ernie Kovacs and that let's try this. Let's try it. If it fails, it fails, but let's just do something different. Right. Right. You know, let's break this mold of what comedy is. Yeah, The artistic expression that allows you to continue creating something. Yeah. Yeah. And, that's and a, he's a smart guy, man. Oh, guy. right. He could have had a career in a completely different field and yeah. been just as successful in terms of the height of that field, yeah. but he chose comedy yeah, just, <laughs> which we is were, cool i remember we did a one of the sketches i came out did a bit and, and they always run long like when i do stern everything's long in the original form and they were like okay let's take a break and he said no we should do we take let's move that line up here and he's like editing in real time not like i when i edit i have to sit down and hmm. he's editing in real time moving lines around i was just wow his mind yeah. just works it's so tight it's so comedic he knows what works he knows order i mean obviously this is why he's success yeah but nice when you see it happen. you see the proof you see the yeah proof. it's not like this guy very, just got lucky so, yeah it's very rare it's like when you meet a really an executive from major corporation or something and you you get oh like i see that i see why you're you are who you are yeah yeah we're talking about money the chipotle yeah, CEO. yeah yeah exactly yeah super nice guy super smart yeah and like i said oh you're, you're just like us yeah <laughs> you're in human form yeah. 20 billion dollar company <laughs> you're, you seem like a regular dude yeah would never be able to tell right. yeah i like actually conan's podcast is one of the podcasts i go back to quite a bit if i'm not trying if i'm not like in learning mode i just yeah. want to have some entertainment and relax and stuff conan's is one of my favorites and he was interviewing um always had dana carvey on a bunch of times because they they always get along but they, they talk he's about the goat yeah, yeah so the goat. they talk about the impressions and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. They talk about impressions and the way that Dana talk, talks about impressions is he's always doing almost like an impression of the impression, like a right. caricature of the impression that's like more wild than what the person actually is. Right. What, what do you feel about that? Is that what you try to do as well? No, Are you trying to I, go I, on I the nose? I actually have to be really careful Okay, because um, it is, and I'll 
give you a bike perfect example. Like, you know, doing Austin Powers, baby. Yeah. You know, I, I have to be really careful that I'm not doing someone else's. Like, it becomes too mm. cartoon because it's a cartoon to begin with. Sure. With Trump specifically, since there's so many people doing Trump, every time I go on, I have a clip on my phone. It doesn't matter who, how many people I'm performing in front of, 25 or 2,500. I listen to that clip. It's a specific clip that I have that covers everything about him because it's very easy in any job to just go on autopilot and it's, you know, I have to go back to the source. I have to go back to the source. I have to go yeah. back to the source. I know what he is talking about because I do that with Dr. Phil. I like a bigger Dr. Phil than the real Dr. Phil. Yeah. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter how flat you make a pancake, it's got two sides. Okay. <laughs> okay. You can put a kimono on a squirrel, but it still won't speak Japanese. Okay. So, him, I choose it for him. I'm very judicious about who's the overblown one, but mm -hmm. that is his style. And yeah. people get, you know, that kind of day. Not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. And that goes back to the church lady. And then yeah. he has been in this so long. And people, the guy is beloved. Every comedian I know and impersonator, impression, they love Dana Carvey because he himself is just plainly funny. And then he has a certain take on his characters. And that's what's great. And also Daryl Hammond, who I think is a really incredible and got screwed by SNL without the whole Alec Baldwin thing. He, if you watch his impressions, and you remember Phil Hartman was doing, he was doing his Bill Clinton. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. What, when Daryl came in, he amped up the sex. And I was like, good choice. That's a good choice. He made him a little more lecherous yeah. and everything. And it was just, he did it, he didn't go bizarre, but it was just, he had to differentiate himself from Phil Hartman. But he, I was just like, damn. And if you look, even his Trump, he differentiates it. He adds this other layer to it. I really feel he's an incredible, just an incredible, <clears throat> I hate the word impressionist for someone. Yeah. He's a great actor doing those characters, which I, you know, because sometimes I hate the word impressionist, but he really takes it, makes it his own. And I think that's what really good impressionists do. And Dana has made that choice. I'm taking this and I'm making it at my own. Yeah, right. Yeah. Where he like, he just, he singles in on a specific aspect of right. their character and then decides to make that aspect everything about them. What you're saying with this guy that does Bill Clinton is just, let's do the sexual, let's take that one piece, right. but make it in him in every context. And exactly. that's what almost makes yeah, it, it funny. It kind of weaves, we weaves in. And it is like an acting thing. You choose that one thing in their personality, and that's going to be throughout the entire performance, whatever scene. That's like your underlying hmm. heart of them. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, dude. I got a lot of other questions for you, but I don't want to spoil all of them because we do have the dinner party episode tonight. Right. So I got more. plenty of questions there. So if you're checking out this episode, please tune into our dinner party episode tonight. I want to lay the foundation, build some context for who you are, the amazing journey that you've been through, the decades of hard work that you've put into every aspect of your career, culminating to your 60th birthday party, yes. which you were kind enough to have me out for. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, I'm a gregarious, I love life. I love people. I love interacting with people. And I'm, and I'm very, I'm very blessed. I'm fully aware of where I came from and where I could be, but I'm here and I take accountability and responsibility for where I am mistakes and achievements. 
perfect. Yeah. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This is a lot of fun for me. If you're watching this one, be sure to check out Dinner Party tonight. I'm going to ask John who, besides Trump, are his other best four. We're going to do top five best four other impressions that he does besides Trump. So if you want to check that out, which you're going to want to, make sure to check out this episode of Dinner Party. We'll catch you guys there. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for spending some time with me and my friends. If you want to be better friends with me, then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter, Your Friend Travis, where I share what's on my mind about life, building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet and leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.